Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Hello and welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Mia Friedman. And look, I know it's not usually my voice that you're used to hearing at the start of the show, but in the spirit of how this year is kicking off so far for all of us, these are, of course, unprecedented times. And, you know, here we are. Holly's back in bed recovering from COVID, where we sent her after she tried to be a very brave soldier and host Monday's show. And Jessie Stevens is still on holidays with her family. So you're stuck with me in the driving seat. And what could possibly go wrong? For people who are new around here and haven't listened to Mamma Mia out loud before, this isn't our usual cast, but it's 2022 and we're adapting, we're pivoting. Fortunately, my co-pilots today are both highly accomplished podcast hosts who will no doubt put me to shame. Who are you, Claire Murphy? I am Claire Murphy. I am the host of Mamma Mia's daily podcast, The Quickie, formerly old radio journo who has done the switch to the dark side of podcasting and also the person who referred to Mia Friedman and Holly Wainwright as boomers in the last episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud, which I have been assured is not the reason why Holly is not here today. Holly's taken to her bed. And Claire, you're not in the studio today because you live far, far away from Mamma Mia HQ. Where do you live? I do. So the beauty of, I guess, silver linings of a pandemic is that we learnt to work remotely. And in that time frame, my husband got a job out in regional New South Wales in Musselbrook, which is mining country. And so I'm coming to you from a room at the back of my house in Musselbrook. Where you live with your husband. And how old's your daughter now? She is just like days away from turning seven, which is terrifying to think that I was in a labour ward seven years ago because it feels like that has gone in the blink of an eye. And in the other chair next to me, who are you? Hello, I'm Emma Gillespie. You might know me from producing such shows as a little podcast called Mamma Mia Out Loud. (laughs) I also host a podcast called Extraordinary Stories, which I force... Holly, Jessie and Mia to bang on about regularly in the hopes that you listeners might come across and listen to me. So usually Em is behind the glass in the producer's booth when we record out loud, but we have recruited her over this side out of desperation really because (laughs) there's no one else available. (laughs) You had to stoop to a whole new low to get me on the other side of the glass. What a way to make a gal feel welcome, Mia Friedman. (laughs) See, this is why I'm not allowed to drive usually. (laughs) Producer Lies gave me a call late yesterday and just said, all right, you can do it. (laughs) I think it's going to be great. I think it's already grown great. We're about 20 minutes into the show and we haven't even started yet. So I will crack my whip. On the show today, we need to talk about one of the characters in And Just Like That to whom some feel a grave injustice has been done. He just looks so hurt, like a kid in one of those big-eyed velvet paintings. Oh, poor Steve. Well, I'm sorry. I panicked. What was I going to do, stand around and chit-chat about the weather? The man has been inside me, for God's sakes. And 
There are some things we'd like to apologise for already, even though we're only halfway through January. But first, Claire. Yeah, so you might have seen a few headlines floating around yesterday that Victorian hospitals, as of today, are now under what's referred to as a code brown, which would be hilarious if it wasn't so deadly serious. And that means they can call staff back from being on leave or refuse them from leave because they need everybody they can to make sure that the hospitals still run with the influx of COVID patients. Outpatient services are being done outside of the hospital. They're doing rapid offload of ambulances. They can redeploy staff, although there are some people who are wondering how their particular skills will work in a COVID ward. Elective procedures have also been postponed and one of those procedures includes IVF. This Code Brown is expected to last about four to six weeks and the fact that Victoria actually calls IVF an elective is strange because that's not the same in all states and territories. But the people who are currently undergoing IVF, especially those who are at their end limit, like whether that be age, whether that be medical condition, whether that be just what's been happening on their particular fertility journey, they have understandably gotten incredibly stressed and upset by this news because an interruption to their IVF cycle now could spell the end of their dream of being a parent. Now, we've had some kind of backtracking on it a little bit from the Victorian government. The acting health minister, James Molino, said the government will allow IVF clinics to resume full services as quickly as possible but has also refused to give a time frame. So we don't know if that time frame means next week, the week after, or when the Code Brown finishes itself. And so we've seen some mums or wannabe mums-to-be taking to social media to vent how they're feeling about this, including this one particular video from Melanie that went viral. Hi. I just wanted to jump on here and introduce myself to Dan Andrews and Martin Foley. You have both made a decision that is greatly affecting not only myself, but so many women around Victoria. And I can't even fathom how you came to the decision that you did. And I thought maybe it's because you've never actually met someone who's going through IVF. So my name is Melanie and I'm currently going through IVF process. And I really just wanted to let you know that this is something that not I elected to do and not one other person who is going through IVF or who has been through IVF or who's just about to start IVF has elected to do. Some of us may only have one or two more opportunities to have children. And by opportunities, I mean months. We think COVID's a pandemic. I'm telling you, infertility is a pandemic. So you can hear the pain in her voice. Like, you can't miss that. You'd have to have a pretty cold heart not to be affected by that. But, of course, it's really hard because we're also in the middle of a pandemic. I recognise that sort of on the verge of hysteria, emotional tone in Melanie's voice, and my heart goes out to everybody in this situation. I have done IVF, but I've experienced infertility and... It's a head fuck in a way that I just don't think you can understand if you've not been through it because there is this sense that your body's failing you, that time's running out, that you're not even at the starting line yet. Like if getting pregnant and retaining a pregnancy and giving birth to a healthy baby or a baby that's 
alive is your objective. That's where you're trying to get to. When you're doing IVF or trying to do IVF, you're not even at the starting line yet and you just feel, oh, it just feels insurmountable. It feels utterly insurmountable. I think for so many people who have no access point to empathising with the IVF journey. You think it's, oh, you pay a doctor, you go, they put a baby in you, you have your dreams come true. But it's clearly not the case. Someone like Lee Campbell, who's executive editor at Mamma Mia, and she's been very open about her fertility journey. And she really showed me as a woman in my 20s who I'm not, you know, in this world yet, I'm not thinking about this. But just from watching her journey, I realised you have to be ready to push yourself to the extremes emotionally, physically, financially. It is such a huge ask of a person to go through IVF. The idea that it could be elective. But technically it is elective. And this is a, a really unpleasant truth. But during the pandemic, at this time during the pandemic with Omicron just wiping out everything, there just aren't enough people to do the things. So someone has to choose, well, what are we going to do and what are we not going to do? And I guess the things that are being chosen are the things that are life or death. IVF isn't life or death, although it feels like it when you're going through it. But there are a lot of people I really sympathise with because their lives are being massively disrupted and derailed. Claire, what are some of the other things that people aren't able to do? The way that this is summed up for me is since this pandemic began, we've been told time and time again, there's going to be sacrifices that we're all going to have to make in order to protect our community, in order to make sure we all make it through this together. But the question is, where do we draw the line on how many sacrifices we make or what sacrifices we make? Because we've already sacrificed our time, milestones. We've sacrificed time with dying family members. We've sacrificed careers. We've sacrificed so many things up to this point. Now we also have to sacrifice our health. And that's not just people who are dealing with IVF. I mean, just this morning, I was told by my knee surgeon, I've had two knee reconstructions on one knee. It's failed. I have bone on bone. I'm in pain every single day of my life. I'm currently begging a knee surgeon to give me a knee replacement because I have stress dreams at night that there's a natural disaster and I can't run away from it because I'm becoming physically disabled now. The surgeon this morning told me, I'm sorry, we probably can't do anything for 12 months. And even then, that's going to be only people who have full private health insurance, not anyone from the public system. So there's this backlog, right? Yeah, there's a massive backlog because elective surgeries have been postponed time and time and time again throughout this pandemic. They're still playing catch-up, so it's not the surgeon's fault. It's the fault of the system at the moment, which is overrun with COVID patients, and we do have to you know, put it out there that a lot of the people who are in ICU and on ventilators are those who've decided not to get vaccinated or who aren't vaccinated. So those people have not made the sacrifice that a lot of us have made. Yeah to protect our community and you can't help but feel like we're all looking for someone to blame in all of this. Like, is it the government? Is it the system? Is it us? Because we are very used to having access to healthcare at our fingertips. Like this situation we're in now is a situation some people around the world face every single day and we are outraged that we don't have access to it. So it's really hard. I understand where people are at and I understand the fear and the frustration Mm. But it just feels like there's nothing we can do. Is there anything we can do at this point? Everyone's just pissed off, aren't they? Because you think about elective surgeries, you know, elective in inverted commas. At the best of times, you could be waiting 12 to 18 months, you know, in a context outside of a pandemic. 
And there are people waiting for things that they need done to live a comfortable, pain-free, happy, healthy life like you, Claire. I've One of my best friends is waiting for endometriosis surgery. She's exhausted. She's hurting every day. And her gyno says, you know, 18 months to two years. Because people tend to think elective surgery means like a boob job or, you know, yes, something exactly. cosmetic that, you know, yeah, it's about vanity or it's about convenience or whatever. Yeah. But this is impacting on people's lives. I have a friend who is a breast physician and just the other week she had to diagnose a young woman in her 30s with breast cancer and this woman missed her checkup. Uh, mm. She's got a family history and she missed her checkup last year because of COVID. So, look, there's a lot we can't do, but wherever you can still have your health checks, please, whether it's a skin check, a colonoscopy, a mammogram, a pap smear, where you can have the check and where it's available, please try to do it. Hi, Mamma Mia Out Loud. Because of your podcast, my dog gets a walk. So thank you from me and thank you from Max. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. We need to talk about And Just Like That. Again, I'll never stop wanting to talk about this. And I'm thrilled to be here to talk about it today. For many out louders and certainly for the three of us and for Holly and Jesse in their absence. And Just Like That has been this, you know, it's been our safe space in the Omicron shit show disaster fire of life. I need some context for you, though, because you are, how old are you, Em? 27. So what is your relationship to Sex and the City? My relationship to Sex in the City is that when I was in year 12, for my 18th birthday, I got given the box set on DVD. <laughs> Whoever gave that to you, Sex in the City. slow clap. Beautiful. It is was, that when the show was already over? It was uh, well and truly over. Well and truly yeah. over. So this is 2012. and A hot minute ago. My three besties split the difference, like they split a present, and I got this enormous <gasps> box set, DVDs, remember those? I do. And what did you think of, of it? Like, what did you think, or who are these old ladies drinking cocktails? And no, I knew who they were from cultural references. I knew they were canon. I just, I wanted to know. I wanted to be in it, and I inhaled the entire season, start to finish, during time when I should have been studying for my HSE. So I attribute lacklustre results to (laughs) Carrie, Miranda and Charlotte. (laughs) But I love it. I loved it. And then the movies. I'd seen the movies, I think, before I saw the show. Really? Oh, that's alarming because I'm surprised you wanted to see the show. That is alarming. I agree. (laughs) Well, my brain wasn't fully formed Mm. at that point. My mum took me to see the movies. Anyway, so I was deeply excited and entranced by and just like that being a thing and now that it's here I am still obsessed. Have you loved it? Because I've had a journey. I don't know about you Claire but how have you felt so far about it? I love it. I don't care that it's kind of daggy and we're mad about some things and other things are missing. I love it. Every episode doesn't have to be 
explosive revelation mm. after revelation. Like sometimes it can just be silly and frivolous and that's what we need. I'm still undecided about whether I love it or it's ruining everything. I kind of find myself going from one extreme to the other because it's like part of me wants to be back in that world and seeing these super mm. rich ladies in their New York lives and their amazing fashions and the escapades they get up to and then remembering how horribly non-diverse it was back in the day and now it's all like, you get a black friend, you get a black friend, you get a brown friend and it's like, oh. <gasps> the tokenism oh. is is slightly alarming. I've tried really, really hard. Really That's been some people's very complaint hard. is that the trying is very visible. Have they tried too hard is the question. Regardless of whether love or hate, one thing for certain is that it has been an oasis for us. It's something to talk about that's not COVID. Exactly. We're thinking about it. We're talking about it. But people are angry and that's what I want to talk to you about today. They're angry there isn't enough sex. They're angry about Rambo. They're angry about Charlotte's lips. They're angry about everyone's hair. But they're also angry about Steve Brady. Somehow... In between the late 90s and 2022, Steve, this is Miranda's partner, Miranda's baby daddy, he went from lovable scruffy bartender with a heart of gold. I don't want to lose you again. Even if I screw up all the other stuff, that's the one that matters. I don't want to lose you either. Will you marry me? Are you serious? Yes. Will you? Hell yeah. So he was like cute, adorable, scruffy Steve. But now he's this slightly annoying, grumpy old man. I draw your attention to this scene from last week's episode where Steve was at the markets, I want to say like a produce. Like a farmer's market. A farmer's market. Yeah. Very New York energy. He was at the markets with Miranda and he all of a sudden had what I can only describe as maybe a moment of early onset dementia, some kind of episode of him just losing his ability to function as a human being and became full-blown grandpa. My wallet! Shit! You you, you got me so freaking distracted when you're yelling at me about the squash guy and left my my wallet over with a pickle guy who used to be over in that corner. I I, I got to go get it. Whilst these women have aged from their, you know, 30s into their 50s, Steve Brady has aged from in his 30s to approximately 84 because he's being made out to be this really doddery old dude. Now, there is obviously some storylines that might play into this because I don't know if you remember, but Steve's mother, I think it was, back in the series, had Alzheimer's. So maybe oh, no, they're trying to bring Steve that into the story. doesn't have Alzheimer's. He's got hearing aids and he lost his <laughs> wallet at the markets. I meant I more like the, oh, my wallet, it's at the pill stand, you know? Before the two of you rip in, Karen Donnelly said it best. She's our pop culture editor here at Mamma Mia. She wrote an article called Steve Brady Deserved Better Than This and she summed it up for us. What I want to know is where is the Steve in all this? Where is the Steveness? Steve was such an active character in the first series and the movies. He was a constant. He was the perennial nice guy who really just wanted to love Miranda. He really fought for their relationship. And in this reboot, he's just missing. He's in the background. He's dithering. I don't think the Steve we know and love would be sitting in the background eating ice cream and chia seeds while his wife is having a sexual awakening in her best friend's kitchen. Of course he would. I'm coming in hot on this one. So first of all, I'm going to take exception to Karen's point that Steve was 
an important character. None of the men or the boyfriends or the partners ever were. That was what was so oh, glorious come on. about Big Sex and the has City. been like iconic over the years. He yeah, definitely was iconic, big. but he wasn't. He wasn't actually douchey. in a lot of episodes, you know. Like he actually didn't have a lot of screen time. The main characters were very much the women and their friendship was the fifth character. New York was the sixth character and then was Aiden and Big and Steve and who else was there? Oh, Trey McDougal. Burger and Trey and the hot one that, that Samantha went out with. They were always just conduits for the women to do things and say things and feel things, right? And I'm going to say Steve never had BDE. He never had big dick energy. He was never an alpha guy. A simp he from day one. He was always scruffy, knockabout. So- I mean, you heard he didn't even ask Miranda to marry him. It's like, okay, Miranda, let's get married. When he did propose to her, she told him to fuck off. Exactly. So <laughs> he was always this. And this is just an older version of that same guy. And I know guys who are older than their female partners and older than some of their contemporaries. And, you know, that's my piece. So I think Steve is exactly who Steve would be. I completely disagree. I feel like they have Khaleesi'd Steve in this. And what I mean by that, if you've not watched Game of Thrones, Khaleesi had this amazing storyline and then turned into a psychopathic murderer at the end for no good reason. And this is what's (laughs) happened to Steve. He was this, you're right, nice guy. He doesn't have BDE, but not every man has to have that to be a lovable, wonderful human being who has every right to be loved and romanced and (laughs) married. And he seems like a good husband and a good father. And don't we all really want that in the end? Because sometimes the guys with the BDE also turn out to be total douchebags, big in Mm. quote. But it's like... This guy now, pop in a couple of hearing aids, and I understand that the actor himself actually wears these in real life, which is why it's in the storyline. But it's oh, like they popped in some oh, hearing aids, and all of a sudden he's this doddery old elderly frail man where realistically well, hearing aids... completely undercut your own point because people are like, oh, who has hearing aids at that age? And that's something that only happens when you're much older. They drew from real life. Truth no, is but not everyone fiction. who's old has hearing aids. That's such a misnomer. Yes, old people do wear hearing aids, but not everyone who has hearing aids is old. Important point from Claire, yes, but I do agree with Mia. It's not about him. And just like yeah. that, it's the new guard. It's the women that we've missed. No one went into and just like that thinking, oh, golly goodness, I hope they tell us what Steve's up to these days. <laughs> it's just not about him. And also, as I watch it, I'm critically aware that there's not an infinite amount of episodes to come. We've only got three more left. So I don't really need time to be wasted on the ageing, hard of hearing old white man when like, I want to know more about Miranda's crisis of self. And oh, you mean Miranda, who was apart. the smart lawyer in the series and now is this like crazy, mostly racist, She's psycho white lawyer. woman discovering her sexuality. Or Carrie, who's just this moany, whingy, oh my God, everything is falling apart. When I have Murphy, a dead husband. She's grieving. Like, she's grieving. Oh my God, Claire Murphy. <laughs> no, because she's not very empathetic she literally to says our to widow one of the Carrie Bradshaw. Who is trying to get something done and she literally just looks him dead in the eye and says, I have a dead husband. Nobody does that. that. That's a douchebag move. (laughs) And just like that, Claire cancelled widows. (laughs) We teach girls to shrink themselves, to make themselves smaller. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. 
feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. This morning I was watching an interview with the Nigerian feminist and author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie about an essay she wrote last year about social media vitriol and this essay was so brilliant it went viral. Chimamanda is the feminist that Beyonce sampled in one of her songs, Flawless, and it was a sample from a TED talk she gave about feminism. She's absolutely amazing. And in this interview, she was talking about the idea of often these days online, people will weaponize something that you said five years ago, 10 years ago, even longer, and not consider or accept that maybe you've changed your mind and that you think differently about that particular thing. And it was basically a pitch for how it's good to change your opinions about things. Here's a little bit of what she said. And even taking back something one has said is no longer allowed. There's an assumption that one hasn't changed from the person that one was 25 years ago. I find that really troubling. Um, I'm learning and growing every day. There are things I said 10 years ago that I don't, I don't, I don't believe anymore. Because I like to think that, you know, I'm slightly wiser now with encroaching old age. And to be made to go back to that person that I was and to be told this is who you are and this is who you will always be just seems to me very strange. So in the spirit of celebrating how sometimes you can change your opinion about something, we've decided to apologise for some of the strident opinions that we used to have, maybe not as long ago as 25 years, maybe as recently as, I don't know, Last year. Like 2020, and yep. <laughs> 2020, 2021, December possibly. <laughs> now perhaps we don't have those same opinions. I'm going to start with you, Claire Murphy, because you were the one that did the first mea culpa where you wanted to apologise to some people that you once mocked. So I would like to, from the bottom of my heart, apologise <laughs> to anyone who I may have mocked or vilified even for owning an air fryer. Now... Wow. I am not a gadget gal. I'm very basic. I do not like things that I have to tuck away in my cupboard. So when the air fryer became a thing a couple of years ago and my friends started mm. buying them and raving about them, I was like, ugh. Aesthetically, the they're horrible. They don't look good yeah, in the kitchen. Yeah, they don't look good. No, no, they're not kind of pretty. in the same category as like a bread maker or yeah. an ice cream maker or something. Yeah, and they're also yeah. too large to tuck away in a cupboard. So it has to. Mm. it's a bench lurker, like one you can mm. never not look at because it has to Absolutely. be there all the time. And I was like, this is just another thing that takes up bench space that no one actually uses after the first couple of times and then you regret that purchase. Like all of those as seen on TV things, right? And then I was away for Christmas and my husband ordered one because he is obsessed with chicken wings and he's been trying all the different ways to make the perfect chicken wing with its accompanying sauce. My husband does all the cooking, by the way. I am not good in the kitchen at all. I'd love to see it. He purchased an air fryer and it rocked up not long after I got back and I was very sceptical and then I tried a few things and then I tried a few more things and now I can make my kids dinner in like under 15 minutes and I am chucking every damn thing in the air fryer. I am researching air fryer recipes online. I have so many saved into a folder right now that I'm basically going to become a gourmet chef. All thank you to the air fryer. So for everyone I ever mocked for owning a kitchen gadget like this, I apologise. You've become like a Thermomix mum. Mm. That's I feel like you. Thermomix is next level because that's like a thousands of dollars investment. Well, this never, air fryer never. Is pretty, pretty cheap air fryer. And do you have an air fryer? 
I don't have an air fryer, oh. but I have thought about it. I've been thinking about it for, I want to say, a year and a half. I live in a share house environment, small kitchen in a city house. The kitchen is just too small for it. It's not feasible. But I think about them often because <laughs> Lucy and Emily from The Undone, they used to be housemates and their entire lives revolved around their air fryer. That's how I learned about air fryers yes. from them. Well, let me tell you, I haven't used a cooktop or an oven since we purchased the air fryer. I could pull that sucker out of my kitchen and not miss it for a second because the air fryer has replaced them all. They're a bit cultish, like people that do at 45. I, I just remembered that I got an air fryer for my youngest child for Christmas last year. Not the one that's just passed. The one, what? I think the one before or maybe his birthday. <laughs> Aren't I a fun mum? Yeah, cook for I'm me. not so sure fun. I would She's have felt the same about it had it been purchased as a gift. Because I'm trying to encourage my children to cook because I can't. But what they're really good for is reheating chips. Oh, and pizza. And pizza. Really oh, good. Yeah. So good. I can't really help but have my producer hat on right now and think, what does this show come to? It's so true. <laughs> and what are you apologising for? Okay, so I want to apologise for how much I judged people who wore ugly sandals. I've been vehemently against the ugly sandal resurgence. I want to say that we've seen over the last six plus months. Oh, Mia's got some on. Oh, my God, she has yeah. them on. I'm not <laughs> Holding mine up, I wore them especially to troll you. I'm not all the way there yet. I don't own any. But Mm. a colleague yesterday I saw wearing some ugly sandals that I actually thought were quite feminine Mm. and pretty. And it challenged. Pretty ugly. Yeah, pretty ugly. Mm. And it challenged everything I thought. I remember, Mia, last year when you bought Teavers, is it? Was yeah, Tevas. And you told me like tail between your legs because you knew how I felt about them yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Not I, I, I own an alarming wear. number of sandals with Velcro and I should also apologise because I trolled my own mother for a long time about her Tevas and I like to think that I wear my ugly sandals in an ironic way and in a fashion forward way but probably they're just ugly. I think that if Jessie were here she'd tell you that that's not Yeah, I know. I tried them. to get her into them. She's not interested. Did you see our colleague Key Reese, who's the co-host of The Spill, she had an engagement party and she wore ugly sandals that looked like they were made from rope that you could get from a hardware yep. store and they are legitimately the most beautiful things I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, but I think you have to be quite a cool person to do it. Like Kay Reese is arguably just She's very, very cool. very cool. I don't feel that I'm cool enough to wear that much Party. rubber or rope on foot. Mia Friedman <laughs> is very cool of Mamma Mia fame. Yeah. I've been yep. called a boomer last episode today. I'm not cool enough for my ugly <laughs> no, sandals. No, you're very cool. <laughs> we find out on I Friday. also... Boomers can be called Mia Friedman. I want to lump the ugly sandals into just a general distaste I've had for 90s fashion resurging coming back. Tiny sunglasses, I also like them now and I hated them and I mocked people. Oh, wow, I'm not there. So I like them. I'm not there I blame the youths. I blame Euphoria, which I've just started watching on Binge. Everyone in that show is impossibly cool and looks incredible every second of their lives, even though they're teenagers in high school. But I am sorry for mocking everyone for those things. I'd like to apologise for mocking owners of oodles because (laughs) in the area in which I live, there are oodles of oodles. They're hypoallergenic. Voodles, labradoodles, just so many oodles. And I've always, groodles, I've always sworn never. I'm like, they all look the same. I think that they look, you know, I won't say how they look. They'll come after me, the oodle owners. I'm always (laughs) like, I will never. I've got rescue dogs. I will always have a rescue dog. I will never get an oodle. Why would you get an oodle? Guess who's got an oodle? I've got a bordoodle. But she's so cute. she looks as dumb as a plank. No. (laughs) And I love her fiercely. What's her name? Her name's Bonnie. I got her during lockdown. She was an emergency 
puppy, <laughs> by which things were going south in my family so fast, we needed <laughs> an immediate injection of joy. And I bumped into someone, you know, I was going out for my one outing per day during mm. lockdown. And I was like, oh, what sort of dog is it? And it's like, oh, it's a Bordoodle, a Border Collie crossed with a Mini Poodle. And I'm like, oh, it's such a cute puppy. Were you on a wait list for ages? And she's like, no, I found this breeder and I had him within 10 days. And I'm like, give me the number. That is and such a red I flag. And I also had my That oodle. is very red flaggy. I did ask if they were a puppy farm and they said no. But probably I well, should have done more due diligence. But it was an emergency <laughs> and now I've got an oodle and I love her. She is beautiful. I want to say Bonnie saved my lockdown too because while we were doing Out Loud and still coming oh, yeah. in, Mia did bring her in a few times. Puppy therapy for people. And it saved me. She pissed all over the carpet she and did. it was beautiful. <laughs> Out Louders, we'd like to know who you'd like to apologise for, what you have changed your mind about over the course of your life, over the course of this pandemic, which is pretty much your life. Tell us in the Outlouders Facebook group or on Instagram. And before we go, I want a reco from you, Emma Gillespie. I have a recommendation. It's called The Rescue. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's a documentary about the rescue of the 12 boys and their soccer coach in a cave in Thailand. Oh, Jessie's obsessed with this. It was brilliant. So I saw Jessie shout it out on her Instagram and then I watched it that night because I am a sheep and I do like Jessie Stevens. Is it traumatic? No. It's terrifying mm. and gut I was going to say, can I ask a question? Is it going to make me feel like I can't breathe? No. Mm. Okay. Maybe just for 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay. Because I haven't been able to watch movies like of people buried underground or the guy that had his like arm trapped for like 100 no, days no, by no. a boulder. This I can't is... watch stuff like that. It makes me feel really anxious. Mm. This is different because, spoiler alert, you know the whole way through that they True. got out. It's yeah, more right. just about understanding how they got out, the most unlikely civilian cave divers who become the heroes of the narrative, their level of expertise. It's so fascinating what they did. I had no idea what they had to do to rescue those boys. They spent 17 days in the cave and I think they found them on like day nine or 10, but it took a full extra week for them to negotiate how they were actually going to rescue them because they were they had to dive for two hours through this complex cave system just to get to the boys. And these are a bunch of 12-year-old boys that many of them couldn't swim at all or weren't strong swimmers at the best of times. And I was always thinking about the anaesthetist and yes. the diver who was also the anaesthetist and the idea of anaesthetizing them for hours and taking them underwater. I had a colonoscopy last year, which I'm sure everyone would like to hear more about. But you know when you have <laughs> yeah, any I had a colonoscopy last year too. Did Yay. you? Yeah. It was so good. It was so good. Okay, Boomer. Any <laughs> she anyone who's ever had any kind of anaesthetic knows that you have to fill in all these forms and the anaesthetist mm. comes and sees you and there are all these monitors and they, you know, it's all very controlled. The idea of giving you the anaesthetic and then putting you underwater for yeah. seven hours to drag you out of a cave. It goes right through that. So Richard Harris, he's yeah. the Australian anaesthetist, and Craig Challen, who's the other Aussie guy, they were Australians of the Year in 2019, you might remember. It goes through this big ethical dilemma that Richard Harris had about anaesthetising the boys and how they actually did it. It's so fascinating. Probably like a good family watch, I would how even can I say. Watch. You can watch it on Disney+. Plus. Uh -huh. It's called The Rescue. And that's a wrap for today's show. How lucky are we that you're still listening all the way until the end? <laughs> thank you so much. And if you love this show, if it makes your day a little bit better, the best way to thank us is to tell someone else about it. Share us in your group chat or on your social or tell a friend with your actual voice. 
Imagine that. Mm. This episode was produced by Emma Gillespie. How have you done that? Because you're actually in the studio as well. It's the magic of podcasting. Okay. Suspend so your disbelief. And also Leah Porges, the executive producer of Mamma Mia Out Loud, is Liz Ratliff. And Lord knows what you'll hear when you tune in on Friday. But if you're busting to know what Holly thinks about Prince Andrew being fired by the Queen, she and I recorded a Mamma Mia subscriber episode that dropped yesterday, right before she went back to bed. And here is a little taste. He's going to be a bit like, you know, Edward and Mrs. Simpson probably and live out his days having cocktail parties with the trusted circle. Oh, it sounds so in bad. Some fancy I feel for him. I think maybe we should organise a GoFundMe so that we can contribute to his legal fund and also to his retirement so that he can at least, you know, have a nice time in exile. Oh, my God. Remember, you can subscribe and hear that episode in full at mamamia.com.au forward slash M plus, that's M-P-L-U-S, or by following the link in the episode description. And by doing so, by subscribing to M plus, you'll be helping to send girls to school in some of the poorest countries in the world. I will, well, maybe I'll see you on Friday. Who knows who you'll hear in your ears. Don't Thanks for joining it. us. Bye. 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 Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.